Welcome back to another episode of Self-Care with Lauren and Blair. My name is Blair. And I'm Lauren. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 6, our spring self-care routines. And welcome to episode 7, where we talk about self-care stigmas and why we need to break them. I think the first stigma that we want to talk about today is CBD because it's been something so transformative in our lives and we've been taking it now for what, six months, both of us? Yeah, yeah. And I think, I don't know if it like builds up in your system, but I definitely think that we've seen some changes in ourselves that we want to address and we want to talk about, you know, we want to destigmatize CBD because it is misunderstood and it is a relatively new trend and we're finding such great benefits with it. Yeah. By the way, we are recording out in nature today. So if you do hear weird sounds, it's just <laughs> the nature. It sounds like a donkey is dying <laughs> in the background. But, you know, yeah, you see, I don't know if, if the mic is picking it up. But um, This is amazing. Is there a dying donkey? But I kind of like it. I kind of like it. And I think because we've been on CBD, we aren't getting worked up about it. You get what you get. Oh, are you kidding me? If anything, being out in nature and having CBD in me, I'm super grounded. So I want to know... What is your CBD routine? How often do you take it? When do you take it? Okay, that's a great question. So I take it at night before bed, about half an hour, maybe 45 minutes. Typically, right before I meditate, um, I put between 5 and 10 drops of it under my tongue. Do you feel like it increases in your system? Like, I don't know. I I take it on a need-to-use basis. If I did that, I'd be taking it all day. All day. Like, I think I would just be drinking it. So do you find that it it stays in your system? Like, you can make different decisions and rationalize better because you took it the night before? Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah, and I don't know if it builds up in your system, but I think overall, generally, um, it's increased my focus, my ability to get things done at work. Like, I'm so productive at work, and I can mark exclusively there. I don't need to bring my marking home. I have this, like, mental clarity that um, I'm able to sustain throughout an entire workday, even though I take it at night. Um, But I love taking it at night because I do feel its effects right before I go to bed. Like, I just feel so tranquil and at peace. And I don't, I think it helps me sleep. I get a much deeper sleep if I take it before bed. Yeah. If I need to be up early the next day, I always just take some because I know I'm going to get that sleep that I need. Yeah. But I want to talk, before we go more into depth about how it's been beneficial for us, I want to talk about the stigma that I've perceived in my experiences with it thus far. So the first thing is I've ordered it, um, I've always ordered it from a woman out in Vancouver and she has the most lovely product and it's geared toward um, working women who have very busy lifestyles just to like alleviate stress and anxiety. And recently PayPal, which is the provider that... um, I've normally paid through to purchase it has stopped working and will not associate with this provider anymore because it's CBD, which I think is so ridiculous. That is ridiculous, especially because one, it's legal in Canada and two, it's legal in the United States if CBD is hemp derived. Yeah, I I don't get it. I think there's this perception that, like, if you take CBD, you do drugs. Yeah. And it's absurd because there's no THC in it, and I don't smoke weed. I've never had any interest in smoking weed. I can't imagine what THC would do to me. I think that the perception is completely false. Well, I can debunk this right now. We have different receptors throughout our bodies, and CBD regulates certain ones, such as the 5 
HT1 serotonin receptor, if we're getting real specific, and the TRPV1 receptor. And both of these are responsible for anti-anxiety effects and regulating inflammation, pain perception, and body temperature. There are receptors called CB1 and CB2, and those are the cannabinoid receptors in our body. And those are responsible for psychoactive effects in the brain if paired with THC. So the THC triggers different receptors than CBD. So, science. Okay, so Dr. Blair is in the house. Yes. I understood zero of that. It's different receptors in the body, and they're triggered by different substances that go in the body. I mean, that sounds credible. I mean, I've dabbled in smoking weed once or twice. Honestly, only once or twice. And um, it's very different than CBD. First of all, you can legally drive on CBD. People just don't understand that CBD affects your body in a completely different way than THC. And it's really bugging me. Right. That makes sense. Like mystery one or myth one, debunked. Debunked. Put to bed. Yes. Okay. So now I want to talk about the three ways that CBD has specifically changed my life. So the first is about um, my reaction time. I've always been an impulsive person and very quick to react. I'm emotionally charged, but I find myself over time being slower to react. So specific example, in the last couple weeks at work, I got a very upsetting voicemail when I came in one morning at 8 o'clock. My previous self would have been incredibly distraught. I mean, I probably wouldn't have cried. I'm not really a crier, but I would have definitely reacted. Um, But after this voicemail, I was still calm, and I paused, and I thought about what I wanted to do. And I feel like it didn't impact me on the magnitude that I'm accustomed to, which is a pretty big, you know, growth or like progress for me because... I I previously would have just impulsively reacted and I don't do that anymore. So for me, um, that's been one of the major benefits of CBD. And then another thing which is something I've struggled with my whole life is letting go of things that are out of my control. I am a control freak and CBD has given me, you know, so much freedom in the sense that I no longer cling desperately onto things that I cannot control so like the weather is out of my control and sometimes I have to accept that you know plans change or I can't I can't make things go in my direction Um, but something specifically that I've always struggled with is when the kids get sick or they don't eat a meal or they just don't comply to something that I need them to do and being very type A that bothers me because I want them to do exactly what I need them to do but then I remember you know like they're children and and I can't make them be exactly what I want them to be so they're gonna get sick it's gonna happen um I you know they're going to sometimes not eat dinner and go to bed hungry and it's not something that I can control um I can't force them to eat and I just find it upsets me less than it used to like I still I'm still trying to cope with it all um but I don't get as angry as I used to or I don't get as frustrated as I used to I kind of just let things roll off my back a little bit more and then I think the last benefit for me has not just been the sleep thing because um, of course I think I sleep better because of it but my meditation practice has improved because of it so because I take it like half an hour before I meditate I find that I'm able to get deeper into the practice and really kind of tune out all those external thoughts or if uh, my mind 
does wander, I'm able to bring it back and focus on the practice, which is something that you know I've I've made I've made reference to so many times in so many other podcasts. My my hardships and struggles in meditation and my inability to focus. So if CBD allows me to get deeper into my practice, I think it works. Yeah, I really relate to what you said about um, letting things roll off your back. Because I've always strived for perfectionism, which is actually really unhealthy. And it wasn't until I took CBD and I was able to care a lot less about when things went wrong is when I actually realized how unhealthy that need for perfection is. So I think it just it's just shaped my life in such a better way where I just don't care as much. Oh, for sure. Caring too much is really bad. Yeah, because you can't control everything and you can't be perfect. And I think if anything, like taking CBD has helped me sort of embrace my mediocrity. Like I'm already juggling so many things and I'm not great at any of the things, but I'm good about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm an okayish mom. I'm an okayish teacher. <laughs> I'm an okayish blogger, influencer. Everything I do, I can't, unfortunately, because I'm wearing so many hats, I can't put a hundred percent into everything. Right. So I don't know if it's a CBD or it's just circumstances, but I'm just, the, the strive for perfection has left the building well you now you're just healthy striving which is just like not aiming for perfectionism but just aiming to be good at what you do yeah like i'm happy to be a seven out of ten yeah even a six and a half <laughs> six and a half like, that's a c okay, you, you, you need you need a b. all right i guess if i need to meet ministry standards and expectations i need yeah, to yeah, be yeah. a 77 yeah. so yeah let's let's say i'm a solid b maybe b minus on all the things that i do um, but certainly CBD has helped give me the perspective that I can't do everything. I can't be everything for everyone. And I just have to prioritize what yeah. to really focus on. You make me really want to try taking CBD every day and see the long-term effects of it. Because I only take it on a need-to-use basis, I get that instant relief that I need. And if I need to calm down, I'm I get it. And... I've always wondered what it would be like if I was just always like that. If I was just always calm. You know what, though? Like, financially, it's not a great thing. Well, yeah. That's my issue. Like, I... It, I it's sacred to me. Yeah. Like, You gotta I relish take every it, drop. Yeah, I take it when I really need it. And I want to note, you can take too much CBD. I had an experience where I needed to be up really early. And I get anxiety about making sure I get a good seven hours of sleep minimum. And I was going to sleep really late. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take my double dose of CBD. I've never done it before. And I, like, it's like I took none. Like, I was a mess and I was super anxious and it didn't help at all. And then I researched it and while you can't overdose on CBD because it's not a drug, um, if you take too much, the effects are less than if you take a smaller amount of it. Which That's I found good to know. Yeah, which I found really interesting. Like too much at one time is not good. That's interesting because the lady I buy it from maintains that you can chug the whole bottle and you're going to feel the same effects and it's not something that you can take too much of. I don't know. When I did it, I was not impressed. I was like, wow, this is definitely something that you take one dosage of. I think that's fair. I mean, I was just thinking, like, I, I pay for 1,500 milligrams of CBD, $150 plus shipping. It comes to almost $200. Wow. And I've been going through these bottles probably every two months. And it adds up. Yeah. 
So, and this is something that we're going to talk about later on in the podcast, just sort of debunk the stigma of um, spending money on Mm self-care. But I think that CBD is one of those non-negotiables and it's something that I'm like more than happy to pay for because the effects help me so much. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a lot of money coming in, so I, you know, don't. I can't afford to buy it every two months, but I do buy it probably every four months and I'm happy to buy it every four months. I'm going to buy it every four months because I need to. Yeah. It's not, it's not a negotiable. It's a a need, not a want. Mm -hmm. And it's not a, it's not an impulse purchase, right? It's something like calculated and and, and budgeted for. That helps you in the long run. So another aspect of self-care that has a stigma behind it is the time that it takes away from being a mom. And this is something I want to talk about because sometimes I feel like I'm being judged about it um, and I shouldn't feel bad or feel guilty. Um, My kids stay late at daycare almost every day of the week. Some days I get them right at around 4.30 or so. Um, But some days um, they stay at daycare until 5 or 5.30 p.m. so that I can go to the gym after work or get my nails done or go for a massage. And I do feel bad about it. Like I feel that they have a long day, especially since their day starts at 8 a.m. But then I remind myself that my kids love daycare and my daughter complains incessantly when I get her too early. If I come at 4 or 4.30, she's like, Mommy, go home, come back. It's too early. Um, We're still doing, we're having, I haven't had snack yet or we're still doing art or whatever. And after a long day of work, For me personally, I feel like self-care before I have to go home and parent is the best thing I can do for myself because it gives me endorphins and it alleviates a lot of stress. So I just, I feel way more equipped to parent. And when I do pick the kids up afterwards, I feel like I'm calmer and I'm more centered and just generally I'm like less tired and I'm more rejuvenated. So I'm prepared to give them dinner and have bath and put them to bed and kind of just be more hands-on and patient with them as opposed to if I just came and got them straight after work and I would just feel tired and on edge and like a little bit um, easily angered and frustrated. And I feel that you could possibly feel resentment. Yeah, I just feel like I need an hour to myself Mm -hmm. between taking care of the first set of kids and then the second set of kids this reminds me a lot of an article that came out a few months ago may have been on buzzfeed i don't remember but it was about millennial burnout and it's the same type of idea because you know the we don't have a lot of job opportunities right now as millennials and there's this hustle culture that everyone says you need to hustle to get a job you need to hustle to maintain a few jobs you know the hustle never stops No, the hustle can stop because work-life balance is a thing and I can't be applying to jobs and doing my own job all day, every day, or else I'll die and I'll burn out. Yeah, definitely the idea of the grind and like being really, really proactive when it comes to work and always hustling is just ingrained within culture, the culture of today. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, you see it all over social media. Mm-hmm. Like, can't stop, won't stop. Just No, like perpet- you have to stop. Yeah. I have to admit, I've not been stopping much lately. But you have, because you just do that in different aspects. Like, even if it's not at your workplace, you know different parts of your life when you can say, okay, I'm going to take an hour for myself. Right. It's the whole, I'm going to leave my kids at daycare. You're taking an hour for yourself because you know, one, they're safe and they're not miserable. So you can do that. 
Yeah. No, it's my break from the hustle. Yeah. That's true. Okay. I do have a, a better work-life balance than I think I perceive in my mind. I'm just really stressed out right now because it's the end of the school year and things are, you know, pretty hectic. And then there's also blogger stuff, which I feel so responsible for and I take so seriously. And then, of course, there's finding time for my family. And it's just the, the balancing act or the struggles of doing it all have made me feel very burnt out. And I think it's a bit different now than it was a few years ago because now not only do you have work and life, but you maintain an online persona too. And that takes a lot of time. Like you do brand deals. I've done a few brand deals and they're time consuming. Oh my goodness. They really are. Yeah. I feel like I don't want to record like complaining about this, but it is something that can be a burden. Like, I love these opportunities and these collaborations that I've had with these brands. And I, I love taking photos and representing their product and um, advertising their product for them. But the creative component and deciding how you want to portray it, mm-hmm. followed by, you know, seeing the photos through and seeing the captions through. Like, I take time out of my day quite often to write a caption. Yeah. And because it's advertising. Yeah. And I, I never in a million years realized that that was part of what I had started yeah and it's a job in itself because you want to make them proud and then you want to keep working with them and build a relationship so it's hard the hustle is everywhere and it's a lot it is and I want to just nap like every day do you nap I don't nap because I don't sleep at night if I nap right I'm like a child no I'm totally the same too like even when I was pregnant I, I didn't nap for the same reason like I'm not capable of sleeping at night if I sleep during the day but I'm also a proponent of listening to your body and if my body is saying like you didn't sleep last night you need to nap I'll do it oh I'll just caffeinate ah that's how I cope but I would like to start trying to nap and see or at least devoting like in the summer maybe just even half an hour 45 minutes to rest rest just like rest is good just laying down on the couch mm-hmm. and vegetating for 45 minutes and like just not having any like active thoughts in my brain or yeah. adding to my to-do list because I'm perpetually adding to my to-do list when I'm trying to relax and it's it's very destructive sometimes and I think we talked about this in another podcast our last one for spring but sometimes I feel guilty if I take a certain amount of time to do nothing even though it's what my body needs and what my mind needs sometimes I feel guilty like I'm not doing the most yeah I think I'm the same and and my life is very scheduled to like the hour Mm -hmm. if you look in my phone like in my calendar everything is scheduled to a T and um if I have a day where it looks less busy than others I feel like what have I done wrong Today's not right. Mm-hmm. Something's gone wrong. Um, but recently, there's a girl I follow on Instagram, and she said that she doesn't schedule in her workouts in her calendar on her phone as, like, body pump or spin class. She puts them in in her phone as, her name is Gina, she puts them in as Gina's time. And I love that. And I've started scheduling my workouts into my calendar as Lauren's time. And it has completely shifted my perspective on my workouts. You know, as I said, I usually do them after work between, you know, school and when I go get the kids. And scheduling it in as my time has made me realize, like, it's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, like, 
it's, I mean, I've always had a lot of intrinsic motivation to get to the gym, but just putting in my phone as that has made it 10 times easier to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a question. Do you pay a lot for your gym membership? It's so funny because this podcast is going to touch on the stigma of spending mm-hmm. money on self-care. And I think that's a really relevant question because mm-hmm. I do, but I'm smart about it. Okay. So like I have a corporate membership for good life and I think it's like full disclosure, it's like $450 a year, which in the grand scheme of gym memberships is actually probably not too bad. No, considering a lot of gyms are a hundred dollars a month. Right. So it's $450 a year. It's, it's a corporate membership. It's, it's, and I can go to any location, full towel service, attend any classes, which is really nice. There's a lot of freedom with it. And, um, and, and it sounds like it's an expensive thing, but I've had a lot of opportunities lately to go to other gyms um, downtown, like studios, really fancy ones where each class drop-in is $30. And I've been declining because of this original gym membership. So it's funny because I do spend money on my gym membership and I do think that it's pricey, but... I'm level-headed and rational enough to recognize that despite the fact that I want to try out all these other fitness studios, I shouldn't because there is a limitation to how much you can spend on this. Yeah, I'm pretty similar. Um, And I also think a gym class or a gym membership is a non-negotiable, but I'm smart in in terms of how I spend my money on them. I have a part-time membership at a gym near my house, and it's not the best gym. It's really tiny. But I can't afford to go to my, well, I go to this gym class for yoga specifically, Mm -hmm. and I can't afford to pay $100 on my dream yoga studio yet, but I do this one in the meantime. Yeah, I think there's different ways to go about it. Like I know my sister, for example, she just has class pass. And she just goes, she just buys credits and she goes to different studios in Toronto, but she doesn't have a main gym membership. And if you Mm. look at the cost, uh, if you do like a cost comparison, it's probably pretty similar to what I pay per year. Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly sure, but there's different ways to do it. You can go to inexpensive studios or you can do class pass or you can just splurge on a, a nice gym membership, but make sure that you make it count. Yeah. Because for me, like I'm happy to shell out the dough when it comes to my health and my, like my mental health especially. So for me, it's like, I'm content to spend money. I don't know that if I lost this corporate membership, I don't know that I would pay a hundred dollars a month for a fancy gym membership. But for now, the $450 a year seems very manageable and sustainable. And as you said, a non-negotiable. What are some other things what are some other aspects of self-care that you shell out the dough for that you feel are justified and shouldn't be stigmatized? Now I've started getting manicures. I like them. I feel pretty. And I've started getting my hair done more often. My hair is really unmanageable, believe it or not, and I have to style it every day. I actually don't have it styled right now and I want to, you know, run and hide. Still looks cute though. No, no, no. But I get my hair cut probably once every two months, which a lot of people could never imagine doing. I know I used to get it cut once every six months, and that was because it was a bit more pricey, but now I just feel my best self when I have my hair done and my nails done, and I think that's okay. Oh, for sure. I actually was thinking something similar because I've started coloring my hair every two months, Mm. which is far more 
often than I normally do. Um, I used to do it maybe once every three to four months, but to be honest, my grays are really bad now and they grow in after like six weeks, maybe even less than that, sometimes four weeks. And I'm really insecure about them. And like I use this spray intermittently to cover up like my roots, but in general, I just feel a lot better about myself when my hair is colored. And the reason is when the grays grow in, I feel old. And in my body, I feel very young. And like I'm I'm 37, turning 38 this year, and I've always perceived myself as younger, like in my 20s. So when the grays grow in, it it is sort of like acutely reminding me of how I am aging and not well at that. So even though I go downtown and my hair color is very pricey and doesn't need to be pricey, um, like I choose, I elect to go to a very um, a very fancy salon, for me, I can justify it because when I don't see my gray hair, my mood and behavior changes. Yeah. I feel young again. I feel vibrant. I feel spirited. I don't feel like I'm aging. So, I mean, every two months for a cut or a color... It sounds like a lot and it is expensive, but, and it's superficial, but it's so important for my mental health and I'm assuming for yours as well. Yeah. Superficial beauty. Is that what it's called? Is that the term? Well, just material things. Well, no, I guess it's no, that's superficial beauty. Yeah. So superficial beauty. I don't care what anyone says. It's a thing. And I'm going to, I'm going to tap into that. I, I'm superficial. If I don't look the way I think I want to look, I my mood is different. And I think that goes for a lot of people. And I don't think you have to be ashamed about it. No, I agree. Like, I think a lot of people believe that your happiness shouldn't be derived from material things. Um, and a lot of people like to say that they're minimalists. And I don't really believe that because capitalism is alive and well. <laughs> right? But I think... Like, happiness can be derived from material things because when I look good, I feel good. And that projects to my mood. Mm -hmm. And if my mood, if I'm in a good mood, I'm a better mom and I'm a better teacher and I'm a better wife and I'm more patient and I'm more loving and I'm just a happier person. So, yes, in some ways it's wrong to be, to derive your happiness to some extent from material things and superficial, um, physical features or whatever but it's worth it you just need to know the line there's a line you know what I mean oh yeah yeah oh and I've never exceeded that line yeah yeah I know when I need to like stop caring and when I can say okay no like I can get this done for myself right now something else that I wanted to talk about in terms of a stigma with self-care was the choices we make of who we surround ourselves with. Oh, I like that topic. Yeah, because I've cut out a few people over the last few years, and I feel bad about it. I have this internalized stigma about it, and then I look around and say, oh, well, I miss this person, and now I have no friends, but it's like, but did I ever want to be friends with them in the first place? Yeah. I, I don't know. I've, like, closed my inner circle and made it super small for the same reason, to, like, cut out the toxicity um, is there a stigma around it? Like, do you feel like people perceive you differently when? Well, I feel like people are saying. Your inner circle. Yeah, I feel like people are saying, "Why can't you keep any friends?" Oh uh, yeah. You know, uh-huh. or like if, if my boyfriend, for example, has all, every single friend he made in university, he still has. Right. And I have one. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the perception of you from other people could be, yeah, why can't she maintain friendships? But I can maintain friendships because I do have a great group of girlfriends that I love, but it's just a lot smaller. And I just feel like this is where the different ages thing plays in in our podcast because you've gone through this already. And I feel like it's in your 20s where you start to make those cuts. Yeah. It's the purge. Yeah. So not affiliated with that horror movie. Yeah totally different story but yeah that's what it looks like in my head you know what I have five friends one is from high school one is from university one is from around the time where we were getting married and I met her at a bridal shower and one is from a a former work colleague Mm -hmm. and wait that's four (laughs) and then my mom and my sister so and your husband and and your children yeah they're all my friends and you and and a lot of blogger friends and I don't know if they're going to be lifelong friends, right. but the connections that I've made through blogging have been so fantastic just to meet like-minded people. Yeah. And I wouldn't call them necessarily like friends. They'd be more like acquaintances yeah, and yeah. periphery people. Different. Like, they're definitely buddies. But then, yeah, I'm talking like strictly like your friends, like okay. your group. So there's four of them. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, high school, university, around the time I got married, and then, and then, um, colleague, work colleague. So every stage in my life, I accumulated exactly one friend. That's interesting. Yeah. And I just noticed it now when I was consciously thinking about it. I know I've tightened my inner circle, but I didn't realize till now that it was just, I just took one person from every stage of my life and like valued that person. Yeah. But it's amazing. Like it's the most liberating thing in the world. And it's like I was thinking about this year for the kids' birthdays. I don't really have anyone to invite anymore because (laughs) all the like mommy friends that I've made have come and gone. Mm -hmm. And I'm so okay with it because the only thing we had in common was the fact that we had kids around the same age. Yeah. And that doesn't sustain a friendship. No, it doesn't. We were not like-minded in any way. Um, We raised our children differently. We lived our lives differently. And just overall, like, I find a lot of the mommy friends that I made over the years, they, their whole, like, self-esteem and worth was, like, stemmed from their children and, you know, if their children were, like, the smartest and the best eaters and the best at this. And and it was, it was quite toxic. Like, I don't, my self-confidence comes from me. And, you know, like, my kids are smart and they're sweet and they're good, decent human beings, but they are not, they do not excel in anything. And, and if they did, I still don't think that my self-worth would be an extension of their successes in life and who they, and you know, how smart they were, or if they did this first or how advanced they were. So for me, like the mommy friendships were the most toxic and cutting those out as cutthroat as it's probably perceived, people probably think I'm a terrible human being. It was healthy for me. That makes me feel a lot better. You should. Yeah. I do feel better. And if anyone's listening and you're like, oh my God, I just wish I could get rid of a few friends, do it. I remember it was hard when I, when you're in the process of cutting them out and you just don't know how to go about it. So you kind of take this route of ghosting slash being firm and it's scary. And then it makes you feel like a bad person, but you got to do it for yourself. And, and when I've consciously said to myself, I need to detach myself from this person, it's always been a process. It's yeah. never been just like... Not overnight. It's not overnight. It's not a text message like, sorry, we done here. It's a slow process and it's just a distancing. But consciously telling myself to do it and following through on it 
has been a very positive, liberating experience for me. Therapy session. This was a therapy session. What can I say? To book a therapy session with self-care of Lauren and Blair, call. Holla at us at... No, don't. No, don't. Don't We have no qualifications. (laughs) Like, sometimes I feel we need to state that. We're not experts. We don't know anything. We just... Talk. We just talk. We just talk. (laughs) We have ideas. Some people will be like, wow, your ideas are so great. And I'll be like, are they? Okay. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, we have no credentials here. We're not psychologists. Although... My sister is a psychologist and my best friend is a social worker and I would love to get them to guest star sometime soon um, and hear their perspective on self-care and the importance of our mental and physical health. Mm -hmm. And you know what? For our listeners, we want to hear your perspectives. If you have something that you can relate to in this podcast, reach out to us. If you have another idea of a stigma that we can break, reach out to us. If you know someone who can guest star on our show, reach out to us. They were always looking for new content and um, new suggestions on how to make things better. Mm -hmm. Should we wrap this up? I think we should. Alrighty. So if you want to keep in touch with us, you can follow us on Instagram. What is yours? I am the athleisure teacher. Yes. And I am Blair Rothstein. It's just my name. Again, if you have any ideas on what you want to hear from us, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you loved. And we will see you next time. Ciao, ciao.